How you guys doing? Aren't babies awesome? You know, when I was single, babies were frightening, um, smelly, expensive things. And then I got married, and nothing really changed. Um, and then we had kids, and I thought I knew everything there was to know about love until I became a father. And then I realized there's layers to this that are, go well beyond anything a single man could ever experience, or well beyond even a married man without children could experience. And we raised those children in that love, and then God blessed us with two absolutely perfect daughter-in-laws that have now given us two just, how, what's the right word for grandchildren? Expensive, two very expensive, uh, just ultrasonic cool, just amazingly wow, 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 like praying tongues to be able to say what you're really trying to say sort of thing. And I, I just, I'm just here to say this today. We're going to come back to taking really good care of people. This is part two. We're coming back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I never want you to forget the greatest things you will ever do for mankind, the greatest glory you'll ever bring to God will not be because you trained harder than the next guy. Sports, you train harder than the next guy. Uh, passing the bar, you know, train harder than the next guy. Uh, having more money in the bank than your neighbor. That, you know, try harder, try harder. There's some things that if it's not in you, it cannot come out of you. There's some things that the best thing is, oh, there's a phone. Whose is it? It doesn't bother me at all. Thanks, Tim. Okay, that's better. Megan. What I love about this is it's recorded for the radio, and people on the radio are like, what's going on? What happened was she left a ticking package on the platform, and the pastor freaked out. But it's good now. We're good now. But I'm just simply saying this, guys. How many of you guys know the greatest things you'll ever do is because you love? So we're talking about where does love come from? Who are we supposed to love? Who, who should we not be loving? Who, who was just like they are beyond? God would never expect me to love that person. So last week we talked about this guy in Luke chapter 10, this legal expert. So he understood the laws of Moses. He comes to Jesus. He goes, I, I, I want to talk about inheriting eternal life. The law talks us about death, about life, about eternal damnation, about eternal life. You know, so what, how, how do you receive eternal life? So Jesus, being the teacher, says, well, how do you read it? Before I tell you my answer, how many of you know Jesus doesn't want us to just regurgitate his answers? He wants us to find our answers through his stories, through his parables, through his teachings. And so this lawyer, this, this legal expert in Moses' law, says, well, I, I think that the, the greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes, bingo. That's, you know, you do that, and you're going to live. But because he's a lawyer, how many guys know legal questions require legal answers, and loving questions require loving answers? Every law has a limit when love has none. So what he's asking is, if you expect me to love everybody everywhere all the time, like no one could ever expect that. So who's my neighbor? And he asks that question, who is my neighbor. He wants to know the legal boundaries. What he's really asking, and, and we would all ask this. I'm not mad at this guy. This isn't some bad person. Like, all of us should ask this question, but if we're willing to ask this question of Jesus, we better be prepared for the answer, all right? So here's the question. Who's my neighbor? What he's really asking is, like, I love my family. Um, I love my children. I, I love my geographical neighbors. We all grew up on the same plot of land. Our families all grew up together, and their families all grew up together. I love my tribe. I, I love, for the most part, my, my nation. I love, for the most part, I mean, but then, like, on the other side of our borders, uh, our boundaries and borders became borders, a word I just 
you know, my strategy is to invent new words from time to time. And, and on the other side, there's the Philistines. I know the, the, you know, the people that worship other gods. I mean, at some point, you don't, we don't expect me to love everybody, right? So what you're, what I, I should love people like me. Is that true? And Jesus goes, well, let me, let me ask you, like, let me tell you a story. And we're going to tell you about who's too far away, what need is too great, where should your efforts go. And we ended last week with this, this statement that I think helps. When we stop asking who deserves and doesn't deserve love, our journey matures from who to love and who not to, to how do we just learn to love? Two amens, and I think one was my mother. <laughs> See, what Jesus is going to answer, there's not a legal answer to the question of love. Love is, you know, kind of wherever love is, that's where it is, and wherever love isn't, there's something that is horribly missing from the dynamic of humanity. And so he's saying, he's saying, like, just follow me here, and he begins to tell the story uh, of who and how with these words. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. He, he was attacked. Um, they stripped him of his clothes, and then they beat him, and then they went away, and they left him unconscious, bleeding and dying. Now, I slow down that story. We're going to slow down even more because I think so often we read it this way. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away. Stop. How many of us know that wouldn't be the way you tell that story if that was you? I was going from Fenton to Linden, and I was going one mile over the speed limit, so I got pulled over by Linden PD. And, and when he left, somebody just jumped out of the bushes and they, they stripped my clothes. You wouldn't say it like a matter of fact. You would slow down. And so we're going to slow down a little bit because Jesus starts the story, I think, in a brilliant... I love stories. How many guys love stories? I love stories. I love good stories. That's why I would never, like, vote for Pedro. I think Napoleon Dynamite is the dumbest story ever. I think Nacho Libre was a higher budget Napoleon Dynamite. It's, it's, they're terrible movies. They're just bad church skits at camp. Are you with me? You know what I mean? But they made a movie out of it. But I think there's some brilliant storytelling in what Jesus is doing here. And I think in our generation, I could even point out maybe some people have taken this cue knowingly or unknowingly. I mean, you guys like scary movies. Anybody like scary movies? We can pray that out of you. Don't. All the Ohio State fans, I get it. But I, I, I hate scary movies. I, the feeling of being afraid is in no way entertaining to me. And yet... I've seen a few. And, and I, like, how I many guys, when Peter Benchley wrote the book Jaws, it was good. When Spielberg made the movie, it was just freaky. How many guys were afraid to swim in your aunt's pool after seeing that? Because <laughs> you were sure. I remember sitting down the toilet going, you know, is this safe? I don't know. <laughs> Anything with water seems at risk at this point. Because it just, it just, it was everywhere and it was nowhere. You were safe until you weren't. And he's throwing the blood and the guts out of the back of the boat. And all of a sudden this mouth opens up. The whole theater screams. And that's not even close to the scariest part. The scariest part is when you heard the music. Ba-dum. Ba-dum. How many of you guys, your cheeks are clenching right now just thinking about it. Bum, 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 bum. And you don't see anything. But what's funny is what you don't see is actually more frightening than what you do see. One of, one of the, the latest uh, and greatest horror movie guys, a guy's name's M. Night Shyamalan. You know what I'm talking about? M. Night Shyamalan, my ding dong. And he, he is, he has this way of making you use your imagination to see a monster he never creates for you to see. When, when the knife, what's that one where the guy's got tinfoil on his head and, what's, what's the name of that, what's that? 
Signs. Yeah, I was just looking for somebody that was a sinner enough to know that. Thank you for sitting in the front row this morning. Yeah, signs, right? Well, remember that scene with like the knife's under the door and you get a quick flash of the alien? Oh my gosh. What's funny is you don't see it. You don't know how big it is, you don't, but you know, like it's, it's, it just confirms your worst suspicions that yes, on the other side of this door, one of those is waiting. What I'm saying is this. When Jesus describes the main character of this parable, he, he leaves his identity blank. There was a man. Doesn't say he's Jewish because that would change the meaning of this. Doesn't, doesn't say he's a Samaritan because that would change the meaning of this. Doesn't say that he's a, a Roman soldier or a Greek scholar or a, a visitor from, you know, the Far East that's coming to the Middle East. It doesn't say. He just literally leaves it so blank that for the rest of human history, all of us can see ourselves in one person. There was a man, right? What the man went through was worse than it sounds. Jesus starts the story by saying he's all alone. And we know, don't we, that when the person's all alone, walking through the house in the dark with the music playing, and all of a sudden the cat jumps out, but then that's not really it, and they turn around, the guy with the chainsaw and the hockey mask is waiting there. We, we all know, that if, we're, if there's 50 of them walking down the road, it's a different story. It's a, it's a fight between armies, between gangs, the jets, and the sharks. But it's not. He is all alone. He's man, mankind, all alone. And the first thing they do is they take all of his clothes. They, they don't take it. They just strip him of his clothes. So what, what is that all about? They haven't beat him yet. They haven't robbed him yet. What are they doing? They're making a, an alone person more vulnerable in a more terrifying position than he's ever been in before. Um, drug lords do this to rival gangs. Uh, the military, sometimes during the interrogation process, will strip them of rank, dignity, strip them down to nothing. So we're searching them. It's like, we've had them in custody for seven days. We're just making him feel so disconnected from home and hearth that he'll begin to speak to us. It's part of the breaking down of the process. Does that make sense? This is what they do. They, are, they didn't just strip him of his clothes. How many guys know it goes deeper than that? There's a bunch of guys. It doesn't say how many, just robbers, plural. And they say, take it off. Drop it. Drop. Now take that. Now take that. And he's standing there. And, and his posture is never, come on, bring it on. His posture is, hey, I'm, just don't. Just don't hurt me. I'll do anything you say. Just don't, just don't hurt me. He's being raped. He's being molested. He's being wounded deeper than the beating that he's about to get. I'm not saying something sexually happened. I'm saying that, that he, his soul is being mugged, not just his body. Does that make sense? He's stripped. He's beaten by robbers. And it's important we understand it's not one guy against one guy. That's called a fight. This isn't a fight. This is an attack. This is an ambush. This is something from which there is no escape. It will continue until they decide it's over with. Robbers, they beat him. And the beating, um, without getting too graphic, we have children in here. But I, when you are, I'll say it the right way. If you're fighting somebody, Everybody knows, tuck in your chin, instinctively, tuck in your chin. Why? Because he hit that, man, it's over with. Your head snaps back and you wake up on Tuesday. So the chin goes in, the hands come up, and you get small. What are you doing? You're trying to guard everything that's valuable. You're trying to, right? That's why boxers body blow, body blow, blah, blah. Why? Because they can't knock you out until your hands come down. You can't protect everything at the same time. But when you're fighting a crowd of people, understand that as soon as he's on the ground, nothing, nothing more offensive is possible. He's on the ground. This is before jujitsu. There's a group of people, and now they're doing this. 
and now they're doing this, and now they're haymaking, bam! His ribs are being broken, his eye is shut, his teeth are being knocked out. Because the fight-or-flight instinct is so strong that even a few ounces less becomes important to get rid of so he can get away. So he's urinated on himself, he's defecated in front of his enemies, and they're just wailing on him. They're just beating on him. They're just be- and finally, mercifully, somebody finally connects on something that knocks his block off, and he's unconscious. They high-five each other, and they head for Denny's, and it's over with. But at some point during that mugging, and I, again, I don't mean to bring up stuff, but just, are, are you getting the story? Like, we got to slow this down. Does that make sense? You guys still doing okay? It's like, oh, baby dedication Sunday, R-rated. Thank you, Jim. That's a wonderful blessing. So glad I invited Grandma to come to church today. <laughs> huh. Horror films and beating scenes. Welcome to Freedom Center Church. But at some point, you've got to admit that, right? At some, at some point, okay, twice in my life, um, I accepted the fact that I wasn't going to make it through this. And, and as strange as it sounds, there's a peace that comes into that moment where you just kind of accept. I, I think it's a God thing. I think it's an adrenaline thing. I think it's a shock thing. But when you come to that place where I'm not going to get through this, there's a piece. At some point during that beating, he literally came to grips with, this is my last day. These are my last moments. And don't raise your hand, but if you've ever been there, you know what you do, right? You start to, you start to think of your mother. You start to think, in my case, of, of friends, and you start to think of God. And he's in that position where it's like, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And sure enough, bam, on the jaw, and he's out. His last thoughts were, I'm not going to survive this. And he just begins to say goodbye. And it's not fair, and it's not right. And then they did something that was even worse by just leaving him there. He is now the trash that for whatever carry the physical scars should he survive, but even deeper, the emotional scars of having been victimized, brutalized, used, abused, treated in such a way that if we treated an animal that way, we'd go to jail. And the, the story isn't done because after that, it got worse. <laughs> and if I've done my job by telling the story properly, you're kind of saying, how in the world could it get worse? Um, again, hear me. If you have been the victim of something like this or anything like this, and we all have our story, right? Sometimes it's not a physical beating. It's an emotional one sometimes. But, but there was a man, and he's going through the worst, maybe the last day of his life, and then things got worse. How? Because when bad people treat you badly, that's just the world we live in. But now, good people are about to come along and do nothing. And if there's anything that makes it hurt worse, anything that solidifies the betrayal of, of all mankind, anything that makes you harden your heart so that you never feel again, it's not the beatings of evil. It's, it's the, the, the healing that you prayed for and the people that should bring it neglect to do so. Are you still here? Yeah, not a fun sermon. Well, let's just keep going. I can do magic tricks. You guys want magic tricks later? So this is what happens in the next verse, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. A Levitical priest, by the way. I, you say priest, some people think mean like Catholic. It's that, the priesthood of, of the Levites. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, this is what happens. He passed by as far away from as he could get without leaving the road. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So why the other side? He, hear this. They didn't want to see up close what they wish they hadn't seen at all. Right? How could they ignore this guy? But, but understand this. The, 
when someone has gone through what he's going through, when someone has gone through what you've gone through, when someone's going through what you're seeing them go through, the closer you get to it, the more real it becomes. Like when, when you smell it, because I promise you there were smells at this crime scene. When you hear the gurgling in his lungs because his broken rib has, has you know, broken into and there's, there's blood in his nose and his eyes and you, and you hear the gurgling sound of a dying man. When, when, you, when you see the dirt and the blood and the spit and, and the snot and the urine, you, it's, it's harder to not do something about it when you see it at that level. Does that make sense? To hear that there are starving children in Haiti is heartbreaking. To hold one in your arms will change you for the rest of your life because you got close enough. So they passed by as far away as they could without actually being a part of it. How could they ignore this man and live with themselves? And you got to hear me. This is the point of what I'm trying to get to today. I think this is the point of Jesus' teaching on this topic is that their love had limits. I, maybe if he had been a priest and he was in his robes and, and they'd have known him from school, from Levite camp, from the office where they sacrifice, you know, cows to, to Yahweh, but, but it, they didn't know him, so there wasn't a feeling for his identity. Let, let me... Let me let me just ask you a question. Well, I don't know why this is so hard for me today. You guys doing all right? Okay. Love, love forces you to make different decisions than logic. Love forces you to make different decisions than law. When you don't have to stop, what forces you to stop? And Jesus is trying to teach us something about how important and how powerful and how crucial to the world, to the community, to your family, to our city, to our church, love is. Without love, it's just easy to go, they've got a problem, but it isn't mine. They're in pain, but I don't feel it. I, ch- I choose not to. So a priest and a Levite, those who are trained to help, decided not to for whatever reason. And does it even matter what the reason is? Good reason, bad reason? The guy's choking on his own blood. His ribs are smashed. His eyes closed up. He smells. And he's been victimized in a horrific way but for some reason, it's not their problem. So what's it going to take to love our neighbor? In order to love, and, I, and I, I want to confess to you that my love has limits. The teaching of Jesus says that's wrong. Do you agree so far? But if I were to tell you, I stop for every person that hitchhikes. I, I stop for, every, you know, we'll work for food, even though, you know, it's doubtful that they would. I, I, I hardly ever, if ever, give right? I know of more needs than the average person because people bring their needs here. And I want to confess to you completely, my love for the last 27 years as your pastor is incomplete. But my goal is that that would not be true a year from now. I I know how to love the way I know how to love. And maybe I even know how to love a little bit better than the average person because of the practice. But when I compare myself to Jesus, it's like I don't know how to love at all. And so my, my love for the Lord, yay, I want to sing the song and I want to love Jesus and I want to have the gifts of the Spirit. But my neighbor laying in the street, whatever that circumstance may be, wow, how many of us know that every time you love, it costs you something? And every time you choose not to, it's like I get to keep the seed and make bread out of it and eat it versus planting it in someone else's field. So remember what love is, guys. Um, in order to love, we're going to have to see what we really don't want to see. Are we okay? We're going to have to see stuff. Jesus says, look at the fields and see that they're white unto harvest. Jesus says, hey, the problem's not, you know, a lack of harvest. The problem is a lack of people that can see. Um, talks about looking to heaven and looking to earth simultaneously. Keep, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at the harvest field. Seeing the world 
like Jesus sees it, is dangerous. Because once you see something you didn't want to see and you let it get inside of you, love doesn't give you a lot of options to just look away again. You would have to harden your heart to stop seeing what you saw. But if we're going to do this, we're going to love without limits, we're going to love like Jesus loved, the very first thing we have to understand is we're going to have to stop and we're going to have to see. Not just my thing and my friends and defriend that and get rid of this and have my filters and have my, my time, my space. Like we're going to have to open up our lives to the people in our neighborhood, the people that live on our street, the people that are in our schools, people that are of our tribe and people that are not of our tribe, people that vote like us and look like us and talk like us and value like us and people that are nothing like us. That's the best amen I got all day. I thought that'd be the hardest one. We're going to have to see. Second thing is we're going to have to stop. Because if you see and you keep going, I really wish you hadn't seen. Because someone who is laying in their own tragedy does not need to see more people that say they love Jesus passing them. They, they need us to stop. They need us to see. They need us to stop. And then they need us to serve. And here's the problem with that. I, I feel the same way, by the way, kid. I'm with you on this one. I, inside of me, I'm, I'm crying too. There, there is a level that will be required of us in the days to come to love our neighbor that I think will be greater than our parents' level had to be. I, I think loving our neighbor and not hating our enemies is, should be one of the preeminent conversations of our day in the church of Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? Because we've gotten really good at, at tribing up and throwing bombs, but very, like seeing, stopping, and serving. I, I'll, I'll give you an example, and don't get mad at me. Just, if this rubs you the wrong way politically, would you just forgive me for not finding the right words and move on? If you will, say amen. amen. All right, if you won't, then just, it's been really good being your pastor. But <laughs> Roe versus Wade was reversed, you know, a few weeks ago. The very next Thursday night, we were downtown serving with the city, and I looked over, and there's a group of probably, probably 20 young people and they'd gathered, they had signs, but they, weren't, they were folded up there. And I walked over, and I, I thought, what's going on? The cops were watching what's going on. I talked to the police officer. I said, would you like me just to kind of wade into it and see what they're doing, see if you have a problem or not? And he said, you know, would you mind, Reverend? I'm like, just don't call me Reverend. And, and you know? And, and so I, I walked in the middle of the group, and I just found the guy that looked at the leader. I said, what are we protesting tonight, guys? What's the protest about? And he said, reproductive rights. And I said, oh, can I see your sign? He showed me a sign. It's like... F this and F that. And I'm like, oh, you're protesting in French. That's, what, that's that, exactly what we need at the farmer's market, you know? So what I said was, can I ask you a question? So you guys, I, I am ardently pro-life. I'm a, I'm a white evangelical pastor. I just want to confess my sins to you right up front. <laughs> and I made a joke out of it. I said, I said so, but I'll bet you that we agree on over 90% of, of the, the thing you're about to protest. Will you take my challenge? He said, go for it, old man. I'm like, Look, a bird, bam, okay. <laughs> On the radio, I prayed for them. That's, if you heard that laughter, I, I laid my hands and my feet upon them. Um, I said, okay. Uh, and we began to go through a list of things I won't go through. By the time we were done, we both agreed about 97.5% of my ardent pro-life position agreed with his ardent pro-choice position. By the time we used the right language... Do you believe it should be this or this? Do you believe this is better than that? Do you believe that you should always or never? Do you believe, by the time we got done, there's only a couple things that we disagree. And then we would disagree on them ardently, by the way. But at the end of that, I said, so you, if you realize this, we're not really that far from you. And so to march through the city 
with, your, with the FU signs, it's going to do harm to the cause you're trying to promote. Do you see that? And he said, well, he said, yeah, my dad would hate this. I'm like, why would your dad hate this? He said, he's a pastor. <laughs> That's all I want to know. That's all. I don't want to know where. I don't want to know who. All I want to know, right? And uh, the mob won. And we're going to do this anyway. And I, okay, so, but I said this. I, I, I'm telling you the truth. When you guys are done protesting, it's really hot. Why don't you come out? We'll go down to the pump house. I'll buy everybody ice cream. And we can hang out and talk some more. Do you, do you understand, guys, that I could have said, who are, who are those people? We had a group. They had a group. We're on one side of an issue. They're on another side of the issue. Can you see where it was the sharks and the jets getting ready to have a brawl? Or someone can walk into the middle of the group and say, I bet you there's more that we agree about than we disagree about. And the things we disagree about, let's disagree about agreeably over ice cream. And I might learn something from you, young man. And you might learn something from the old man tonight. What I'm trying to say is this, guys. We got to see. We got to stop. And we got to serve. Because when we see and we protest, we pass by ignorance. We, we pass by pain. We pass by victimization. Later on that night, he, it was really hot. He had his arms up and they didn't change the signs. And blank this, blank that, blank this, blank that. As he walked by, they're, and they're, they're as hardened and militant. But I saw him. I looked at him, smiled and winked. I said, you got armpit stains. Put your arms down. He, just, he said, you're an idiot. He just got to get blank this. Like, Stop it. Blank this. I'm an angry young person. Stop making fun of me. Stop being my friend. I'm blank this, blank that. Now, again, if that rubs you the wrong way politically, I, I get it. But I, I think blessed are the peacemakers because they're going to be called the sons of God. Yes, they'll have arrows in their chest. Yes, they'll have bullets in their back because they stand between cowboys and Indians and hate each other. But I think that the church of Jesus Christ needs to see, we need to stop, and we need to serve. And we need to vote. And we need to have an opinion. And it needs to be a biblical opinion. Come on. But I, but I would also say this. If we hate them, they, they feel that. What they feel from us trumps how we would talk about them or not talk about them and us. And Jesus is breaking down the us and the thems to become his kids. And there are some kids in his family that are pretty naughty. I know this because I hang out with, you know, Pastor Kim. (laughs) Remember what love is, guys. Love is the costly, committed, consistent choice to act for another's highest good regardless of reciprocation. They love you back, great. If they don't, it's still the costly, committed, consistent choice to do what's best for them. And what if the church of Jesus Christ had a reputation for that? What good could God do? Piano girl, join me if you would. What good could God do in the world with a people who regularly came together with the expectation of loving God, loving people, and loving to serve? And I hear people say, Jim, I just brought my baby today. <laughs> you know, I asked somebody out there, how old's your baby? They said, five months old. I said, when was the last night a good night's sleep? He said, about five months ago. <laughs> I get that. There are seasons of life that are so demanding, and I, I think there are, there's demands in every season of life. But, but that, that thought of, what if there's a group of people that, that at least once a week or whatever it is came together and said, God, my very best to you. What would happen is we would love the Lord, and guess what else happens? He loves us. From that love, love your neighbor as yourself. If God can love me, then I can love anybody. And you begin to wade into that world. And you begin to love people in a way that you have been loved. I can't fake love. 
I can fake generosity. I can fake understanding. I can fake sympathy. I can't fake love. People can smell a phony in this area. And the last thing we would ever want to be is that. So I don't have enough. I don't, I don't have enough. I don't know. But let me, let me ask you this. And, and be honest. Money. Was the Samaritan richer or poorer for having stopped? He was poorer. He had money. He gave two days wages. And he promised to pay off more. And he marinated the guy with his own oil and his, his own wine for the barbecue later on, evidently. Right? So he had less for having stopped. Do we agree? Did the Samaritan have more time or less time because he gave this dude some time? He had less. Did, do, do you think that in that day of busyness, he, ha- he got more done or less done because he diverted his to-do list to one human being? There's less. Are you getting this? But let's do one more thing, okay? Do you believe for a moment that when that Samaritan laid on his deathbed, he had any regrets for having stopped for a stranger. So, who do you love? And who don't you? I promise you, if that story said there's a man, he was attacked, he was stripped, he was beaten, and about 10 minutes later, his father came along. How many guys know the story would be the father would stop? Because that's my son. Does this make sense? Because that love doesn't have limits. He wouldn't say, oh, where are the people? What's it going to cost me? I only got so much oil. Wine costs money. You shouldn't have been here, son. I warned you about traveling alone. He would, he would have moved with compassion. He would have run to his boy. He would have picked him up and wept over him, prayed on him, marinated him, stuck him on the donkey. He would have ran to the end. He wouldn't have even left him there with a couple of coins. He would have stayed with him because that's my boy. Does this make sense? You still here? Okay, so that is not the parable of Jesus, but understand this. The, the, the truth of this is... If God the Father was walking down that road and found you and found me laying there, he would stop. But he's not walking down the road. He's sending sons and daughters down the road. And I get going around needs. I get going around emotional black holes that will never be satisfied with your attention, your time, your reason. I get that. But you've got to understand this. Until we see, until we stop, until we serve. The world has a legitimate claim against Christianity, whatever that means today. If all we do is vote and complain, all we do is take care of us and vilify them. Let me tell you something, guys. The world isn't completely wrong when it points its fingers at modern Christianity in America and says something's wrong. What's the cure? Uh, More programs. More square feet. More money. I don't think so. I think it's more love. So I hate to go Diana Ross on you, but what the world needs now... Come on, stand your feet. What the world needs now, what the world needs now is people who can see, people who'll stop, people who'll serve. Again, I, I hope I've made this clear. You say, well, that's nice of you to say, but you know, I needed you a couple of weeks ago and it took you three days to call me back. I'm not good at this. You may notice I've never preached a sermon like this before because what I never want to be is a hypocrite. That's why I never preach sermons on like guarding your tongue. I haven't, I haven't quite figured that one out yet. Unless my wife can hold my hand and squeeze it as the censor. Oh, okay, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, no more COVID jokes during baby dedications. I got it. I got it. You know? I'm, I'm just saying this. If our reputation was like a hated Samaritan who stopped for a neighbor, for a man who was living his worst day, maybe his last day, but he thought it was worth it. Wow. I, I just, I think that's what God meant when he said Church. 
I, th- I think that's what God meant when he said son and daughter. I think Jesus lived the perfect theology of the Father's heart in balance. Prayer and worship and sacrifice and love and stopping and praying and miracles and compassion and tears, laughter, fish, right? There's a rhythm for us. And I I would just encourage you, if you thought that looking at broadcast news and social media, if that you thought that was the real world, that is a highly filtered, highly inflammatory, purposeful deception to get your money and attention. But when you read scripture, that's a father talking to his son. That's, That's a loving father talking to his daughter, saying, you're better than this. You know how to live. I've taught you how to live. Now see, now stop, now serve. Don't complain. Know that nothing changes when the slacktivist hits send. Everything changes when you stop because you saw and you love. So Father, today, this is a radical uh, departure from norm, God, but this is what Jesus taught. How do I inherit eternal life? Love me, love your neighbor. Okay, who's my neighbor? (laughs) So God, we're going to have to love you at a level where this level of love comes through us. It has to come to us before it can come through us. So God, right now, we know the condemnation and sin and all the stuff that would keep us in a position. Like, I don't know why, but we, we just feel like we can't, we can't receive the love that we don't believe we deserve. But you paid with the blood of your son for every sin of all mankind. And all that's asked now is the trust that that blood is more powerful. What you did is more powerful than what I've done and haven't done. So Jesus, before we ask for love, we ask for forgiveness. Help us, God. I'm a pastor for decades and I'm such a failure. And if it wasn't for the other fact that I am so loved by a gracious, gracious, patient God, a loving Father who, who, who cheers for me when I take one step in balance, even though the next step I lose my balance and fall. Like a father teaches a child how to walk, so you are patient with mankind. And I pray that today, God, as we put the past behind us, we begin to open our eyes. If that was our son, we'd stop. If that was our physical neighbor, we'd stop. If that was somebody from the office, from the classroom, we'd stop. We know them. At what point will we not stop anymore? Is it the color of their skin? Is it the zip code they live in? Is it the way they voted in the yard sign during election season? Is it what they said on social media two years ago? Wherever the line is that we would stop loving, God, forgive us of that line. Church, just do this right now. You know the line. I just mentioned a couple of things. Maybe there's things the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on right now. But hear me. If you're like, I know the line. I know the person I don't love. I know where my love stops. I know where I, would, I want justice, not mercy. Then would you do this? I'm not saying love the whole world, but I am saying this. What if your circle of love expanded just large enough to encapsulate that person too? That tribe too? that circumstance too. Father, I pray for insight, wisdom, and revelation. We've prayed for mercy. What you've forgiven us from has cost you so much, but what you've given us, what you've forgiven us for now waits in front of us. So we're not done loving. We're not Hatfield and McCoying this anymore. We're not falling for the the stimulating, titillating, soap opera-like lies of news told us to love everybody and until we've done that right we haven't really lived so love us well make us well loved so we can love well in Jesus name in Jesus name 
So if you're here right now and you're like, Jim, I'm, uh, I need some time to digest this, then we're going to turn this room into an altar. We will have people coming forward to pray for you should you need specific prayer. Um, I hope you didn't hear me say, if you don't love everybody, you're you know, shame on you. I never said that. I said, I don't love everybody. Shame on me. But through the blood of Jesus, shame off me. Let's get back to work and make, make the circle of love, who my neighbor is, get larger and larger. And I, I tell you to do the same thing. You guys good? All the workers come forward. If you need prayer, you're coming too. If not, it's now nine minutes after 10 o'clock. And uh, go get your babies. Go get your kids. Love on them. Would you do one last thing? If you got kids, teach them how to love too, will you? And don't teach them how to hate. Teach them how to love. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go get them.